Welcome to Achieve Wealth through value-add real estate investing. This is the show where the guru hype is banned and you get direct insights from commercial real estate operators. If you're a passive investor, this show can help you better understand investment opportunities. And if you're an active investor, the lessons from each episode can help you to become more effective in your own deals. Now, here's your host, investor and author, James Kandasamy. Hey audience, welcome to Achieve Wealth Podcast. Uh, Achieve Wealth Podcast focuses on value-add real estate investing. I'm James Kandasamy. Today I have uh, an accomplished couple, Jack and Michelle Bosch. And Jack and Michelle Bosch have done more than 4,000 land flips across the nation. Uh, land flips is something very interesting to me and you know, it's an asset class uh, or uh, an asset class which I think uh, is very interesting and you can learn how we make money out of it. They've done a lot of single family houses and they also have done apartments, 330 units apartments. And, uh, you know, they're continuing to look for more in apartments as well. But I think they, have, they are the masters of land flip. Hey, Jack and Michelle, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having us, James. We're excited thank, to be thank here. Thank you for having us, James. Tell me, did I miss out anything in your credentials? Or, you know, did no, I other, than, other than we're both immigrants. We both yeah. came from another country. So we started here with, uh, just like you, Chris, came, yep. came over from another country and so we have that in common, but but now we, we flipped now 4,000 pieces of land. We teach it now, so we have seminars on that, uh, land flipping. But then for asset allocation, basically the money we make for our land flips and whichever other way and rental properties now, we roll that into more and more into apartments now. Yeah. Got it, got it. To produce what we call one-time cash with the land flips, like you work for it once and you get paid once. And we're also able to produce some cash flow because we are also able to sell those properties using seller financing, you know? Got it. And um, and so you do get some mailbox money, but those notes usually come to an end once the property is paid off. And okay. so we want to roll always, we're always in the back of our minds is, okay, let's roll cash profits and cash flow into what we call forever cash, which would be a partner. Got it, got it. Before we go into the detail of land flipping, I want to understand your background because I know all of us are immigrants, right? So uh, can you tell me when did you guys move to the country and how did you move? Were you already successful on the day that you land in this country? Oh, no. Of course, we're like, we're billionaires. <laughs> did you find gold uh, outside the boat? <laughs> no, so uh, Michelle Galea. Yeah, for me, uh, I came from Honduras here in 1995 to study. Um, I came to a tiny little town, like about three hours southwest of Chicago, called Macomb, Illinois. That's where I met this man in the oh. middle of the cornfields. <laughs> um, it's basically a university town, you know, and um, nothing else to do. I came there for a business degree, my undergrad. And I was in my senior year there, my third and last year when I met Jack. Mm -hmm. um, we shared some upper finance courses together because he was here for an MBA, 10 months. Mm -hmm. He met me and then he couldn't leave anymore. <laughs> he got stuck. He got stuck in the U.S. Uh, you're right. I mean, she summarized it. I came in 1997. Michelle was in her last year in, in undergrad. Um, I did, came in for a master's to that same university that had an exchange program with my, the university I used to go to in Germany. And I was kind of like be able to kind of uh, accomplish three goals in one year. Number one, I was able to get uh, an MBA in the United States because it was an accredited school and I already studied business in Germany, already had a lot of credits and I just needed 
this 10 months was enough to get me the American MBA. They gave me, I tested out and got out of all of these other things. Number two, I was able to get, uh, um, to get credit for the missing classes in Germany. So I, with that, I didn't have to go back to Germany to do more classes. I completed my degree in Germany. Those same classes gave me the MBA, also helped me uh, complete my degree in Germany. And I improved my English. And the fourth and most important thing, I met this one. <laughs> so, yeah. that, <laughs> but to answer your question as to whether we came here successful, absolutely not. I came with two suitcases to my name, uh, Jack pretty much the same. Um, you know, I was uh, raised by a single mom and uh, my father passed away when we were very, when she, you know, when I was very young and, um, and it was, you know, she was sending me here to study with a lot of sacrifices. Um, you know, I had to uh, take summer courses, uh, you know, take seven courses per semester, like advance as much as possible because I couldn't afford to be in the U.S. for more than two and a half, three years. You know what I mean? Um, and um, eating soup towards the end of the semester when, <laughs> when you run out of money. And, um, and uh, but I did have, um, I did have in the back of my mind the thought that uh, real estate had been incredibly good for my family. Um, you know, before my father passed, he had made an amazing decision and it was to buy a piece of commercial property that to this day spits out cash, you know, for my mother. And so, um, and so. And that piece of property brought her to college. Got me through college. And still sustains her mom over there. Yeah, in my case, so my dad's, again, same thing, my, well, not same thing, but uh, similar. My, my dad is a high school teacher, retired now. My mom's a stay-at-home mom. Uh, so now I came here with student debt. I came here with uh, enough money to pay for one semester. Didn't have, really didn't have a clue how to how I would even pay for the second semester. Luckily, I got a job in school. My first car that I bought here in the U.S. was a $900 old Chevy Caprice, like the old taxi cars that they used to drive around. Four wheels, right? Four wheels? Four, four wheels, I yes. And, and, I, and, and, and I was like, Jack, why do you get this? I mean, there's so many cars. Why do you get this car? And his answer was like, Cars in Germany are so tiny. I was looking for the biggest car possible right. in the US. <laughs> like the Germans and every single one of them bought the biggest car that they could find. <laughs> that's good. That's good. Yeah, I like to that's a very interesting story from both of you, right? So I like to, I mean, before we go into the, the technicality of the commercial real estate and all that, I like to understand a lot about thought process and and you know, is the people behind it, right? Because I think that's what makes everybody successful. It's not about the tool like real estate, right? So so tell me about what was your family thinking when when looking about the US from outside, right? Did they think US is land of opportunity? Easy to get rich or how, I mean, can you talk about the process that when families outside of the country, when they want to send their children to the US, what do they usually think? You know, what do they think the, the kids will get here? Well, uh, I think Michelle's mom was perhaps not thrilled that she would stay here. Yeah. But, but not thrilled? No, yeah. The, the whole okay. point was to come here, study, not find a husband, go back home, and basically <laughs> okay. help her manage, you know, this piece of real estate and, mm -hmm. um, and hopefully, um, you know, continue growing uh, the legacy yeah. that was left to us, you know? Okay. And get a job, right? Yeah, right. yeah. Same thing here. Right. My parents were absolutely not thrilled that I was uh, staying here behind. Uh, they, I, I literally had the job lined up in Germany. I had, uh, I just put my, my student furniture in my parents' basement. I, I had uh, a good degree from a good university and good things. And 
And, um, and they're like, what are you doing? Why are you staying there? What's going on there? You're so far away. And particularly my mom had a really hard time with it for mm-hmm. several years. But then once they saw our success, particularly once we entered real estate, yeah. and once we saw our success and what that success actually means for them to and for us, mm-hmm. it's like we don't, I, we see our parents, this year we see my parents three or four times, even though they live in Germany. And, I, yeah. and, and, and it's like, and they, we support them a little bit financially. They, um, they get to come here. They get to spend time here. They see that they don't have to worry about us. Like we're the one. We're like uh, we're my, me and Michelle and our family. They don't. They're like peace of mind. They're okay. They're good. They're happy financially. They're good. So you know, as a parent, you wonder, you you, you want to have that feeling. So they know ultimately it's a good decision. And it took them like. 15 years to say that, but they did. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, we also contributed to, you know, being able to retire Jack's yeah, dad before time, you know, a couple of years before. He had been working as a school teacher for, for many, many years, and he was just was uh, at the point where he just didn't want to do it anymore, but he couldn't leave it because, you know, um, that involved a big reduction in his pension, you know, he did. And so we put the pedal to the metal back then, and it was just through land flipping uh, to be able to make up for that, you know, for those two years of early retirement yeah. and, and being able to retire him early. So. so he ended up retiring a year and a half, uh, two and a half years early because of that. And, oh, uh, awesome. And, and, and so overall, so, so now that totally has changed. So. Yeah, so family has been always, I think, also a big why for us, a big driver big to one. get things done. Got it, got it. That's that's absolutely what happened. You can come here and help out your family back home, right? And you yeah. just sometimes people, I mean, sometimes they think that okay, we really want to come to the U.S. and stay here, right? But that was not the case for both of you, right? I mean, you came to study and you're supposed to go back, but you got stuck with each other, right? So. Well, I mean, the United States is a wonderful country to be, but then also we realized. Realized, I don't want to live in Honduras. Michelle didn't want to live in Germany. Nothing wrong with these two countries. They're beautiful countries, yeah. but yeah. language barriers, culture barriers. They so we says like we're already here. Let's try to make this work here. We got lucky. We both got jobs here. We got a job that got the visa, the H one B visa. Took yeah. five and a half years to get to that process. But it was a and job. Jobs we both hated, but we were handcuffed because of the you know uh, green card situation, and mm-hmm. um, and so we we had to stay, but. Yeah, but yeah. but yeah, it was just something. Let's see if we can make this work here because we like it here and we Got and it. it's a beautiful neutral ground also for us. So, do you think that as an immigrant, did did that whole uh, life situation gave you a boost or a reason for you to be successful in the U.S.? Absolutely. It like I think it was uh, an incredible it gives you an incredible drive and hunger. Like I don't come from a wealthy society like Jack's, you know, I was going to go back to a third world country, you know, yes, from a, from a middle-class family, but, um, but still to a very poor society. And so for me, yeah, that, you know, that was an incredible drive. You know, I, I, you know, you still go back home and the, you know, those, well, the disparities between haves and have-nots are, are brutal. And so you definitely don't want to be caught in the have-nots part. You want to be caught, you know, in the other group of people. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And so, um, yeah, that was definitely a, a big, big drive for me, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, same, same here. I mean, but in a different way. Here, it's more like I could, anytime I could have left and got to Germany, first-class country, Mercedes-Benz would have gotten a, a good job with a 
BMW as a, as a business car and uh, expense budget and staying in nice hotels and all this kind of stuff. But um, the overall, I mean, there's something really amazing about the U.S. that I keep saying. And it's not like blind, uh, blind nationalism. It's, uh, it's, it's just for business and for success and for comfort and for just the particular business. It's just an amazing country. It's like so once we started setting our eyes on that, it's like uh, it, it's so easy to do this. And, and definitely it helps being an immigrant. I don't know if the, the hardship helps if you use them right. So yeah. we use them as we use them as fuel. We used them as a reason why we needed to succeed because we did not want to live a life like I was traveling 100%. I mean, it sounds glamorous, like I was jumping the plane on Monday morning, going somewhere, but I was staying in Holiday Inn Expresses where ants were crawling up the walls and uh, in some cases, and usually in, in, in small towns where there's uh, five restaurants, three of them are fast foods, and, and I was like um, working in some companies until midnight and I didn't enjoy it. So I used those things as a fuel to say, okay, we got to do something extra in order to succeed. Now, having said that, being an immigrant here, which as you can probably confirm, is uh -huh. you start you see way more opportunity okay. that the non-immigrants see because it's right. not normal to you. What you see around you is all new. So as it's new, you look at it from a different angle and you see the holes in it based on compared to what you see in other places in the world. And it's like, well, there and and any kind of opportunity that ever existed is really masked itself as a problem. So you see, uh, like anything that ever created, like glasses uh, have been created uh, because people don't see have good eyesight anymore. The problem is the eyesight, this is the solution. So mm -hmm. anything, even multifamily, is the solution to a problem. You take a problem, you take a problem property that's been run down and you make it into the prettiest property in the neighborhood, you provide the solution for people who want to save, mm -hmm. uh, safe, solid, good, well-working uh, place, affordable place to live, you can make something out of that. And that's the truth for everything. And as an immigrant, I have a feeling you see that much more than, uh, than if you're born and raised here and it's, everything is just normal. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I had a friend from UK and he left UK, came to the US and he kept on telling me this. I don't know whether UK or entire Europe, right? I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a well-to-do country, it's a rich country, but there's no easy part to break out from your from your circle right so you can't break out as a break out and go to the next level you're always within that you're probably working you're earning you're you're learning you are living a an average life right like everybody else but you can't break out to the next level right so yeah. i'm not sure how is that in germany but but in the u.s definitely plus germans are they don't move a lot so you're on top of it tight almost like down by your social circles that's like there's a party thing and a friendship. So if you start breaking out, you become, you're almost alienating the people around you. An anomaly. An anomaly. <laughs> okay. And if you don't have the stamina to keep that off and build a new circle of friendships or so, then, then you're getting be pulled back down. And, and that's another benefit as an immigrant. It's like, hey, it's like you cut the, you, you didn't burn the boat, but you, you cut the ties. It's a brand new world. It's a brand new opportunity. You associate yourself and make friends with those people that you want to make friends with. And, and it's just a, it's almost, it's a brand new world. It's, it's a different thing. Got it, got it, got it. I think especially Jack is, you know, resonates with that because he comes from a very small town in Germany. He's like, there's some people that I, even though I didn't want to socialize, I had to because it was such a small town. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Once when I was younger, I was in college. I went uh, to study in Spain for half a year. I came back, went to my favorite bar, and they just asked me, hey, you look tanned. Do you want to use a drink? So not, <laughs> nothing changed in like uh -huh. 
eight months or so, and not a single thing had changed. The same people were sitting at the same tables in the same bar, drinking the same drink. And 20 years later, still as nothing has changed. Yeah. It's still, they now look, look older and unhealthier, but other than that, it's just... It's the same thing. Yeah, I know. <laughs> that's maybe that's why the index happiness index is much higher, right? In some Europe country, okay, people are just happy with their way they are, right? Yeah, and, and there's have, nothing. There's no judgment in that. Yeah, right. yeah. Just, why do you want to rush? Why do you want to rush? Why do you want to get rich? Just live as it is, right? So, yeah. and there's nothing said to be that. But uh, but if you have ambitions, if you enjoy growth, like uh, be like. We enjoy personal growth. We're yeah. really on a lifelong personal growth journey and that I'm comes right. with challenges, yeah. that comes with, with, with new hurdles, that comes with expansion. And uh, mm -hmm. so I, I, it wouldn't be my world. And those challenges, you know, uh, are, are part, we know are part of the journey. And, and, and you think that the goal is, you know, a wealth goal, but it's really, a, the goal is a, being on a constant process of becoming, of expansion, kind of like And the wealth says. comes as a side benefit of that. Yeah. Got it, got it, got it. So let's go to your businesses, right? So you guys, you had your green card, you came here, you worked for how many years did you work on a corporate life? Five and a half. Five and a half. Five and a half. So what happened after five and a half? When did you start your land flipping thing? Well, the land business we started about uh, three years in or two years in, we realized this is not what we want to do, this job thing. So we started dabbling with real estate and we really didn't find success until about four years into it, until the end of 2002. On the two years that you, you realized that your work is not the thing that you all want to do, right? right. What, was that, what was that aha moment, say that? The aha yeah. moment was actually, for me, was a particular day that the company of 7,000 people let go right. 1,000 people in one day. Right after September 11th. And, uh, and they, the economy did a massive shift downwards. The software company that had grown from 500 people when I joined them to 7,000 people three years later, two, and two or three years later, were starting to go back down from 7,000 to 4,000 people. And they did it in one year. As a matter of fact, they did it in three days during that one year. Wow. So one day, 1,000, another day, 1,000, another day, 1,000. These months were, these days were like four, a few months apart from each other. But the first time that happened was when they literally left and right, when, they, when, when we were on our customer side, there was a software company, but I don't know anything about software. I'm not, I just was in the business kind of department. They, um, business analysts, they, we were somewhere at the customer side and the phone would ring and our network was shut down. We usually connect to the internet, to our corporate network, to get to our files and stuff. All of a sudden, nobody could get into the network. It's like, oh, when you get in, you get in. You know started, what's happening, right? We started calling people <laughs> in other offices. What's going on? You get in. No, nobody could get in. It's like, oh, our network is down. Next thing you know, two cubicles over, the phone rings. The guy picks up and all the color leaves his face. And three minutes later, he picks up, he grabs his stuff and says, hey, guys, nice meeting you. I was just fired. And he basically picks up his stuff and leaves. And that's it. And I was like, what do you mean that's it? Like, again, Germany, if somebody fires you, they have to give you a three-month three notice. Months. Three months notice. I thought it was 12, months. I thought it was 12 months notice or something. Yeah, so that you can actually, yeah, so that you can actually train your replacement. Yeah, you yeah. train your replacement and so on. And, uh, or at least they have to pay you for three months. Some companies say go home, but they have to pay you for three months here. You're off. And they gave them, I think a four week severance. If they signed something that they wouldn't sue the company. So, um, so, and then during the course of the day, a whole bunch of people I knew were let go. 
And and I was sweating bullets, obviously. We both were sweating bullets because obviously we would have left and at that, that point, I had joined actually Jack's uh, immigration, you know, files and paperwork because we figured, okay, there's very few people trying to immigrate from Germany, and there's so many more coming from south of the border. Let's jump on Jack's application, yeah. and so we were both, you know, on his on his paperwork. So if I would have lost that job, we would have had 60 days to find another job or leave the country. So oh. in that in that moment, we realized, okay, this is. We're so freaking replaceable here. There were just a number in this in this big wheel of seven thousand people, and after the day, only six thousand people. Uh, we're like, uh, okay, we gotta we gotta do something else. We don't like it. After five and a half five and a half years in an industry, you're almost like pigeonholed in that industry. I didn't want to stay for the rest of my career in that industry, so we wanted to get out, and we didn't know how to do that. We just looked around, and after a few months or weeks of looking, we came across real estate. Tried all kinds of different things, but couldn't get anything to work until we came across land flipping. And and I think the land flipping was even uh, like falling forward. Yes, <laughs> pure coincidence. It's just we were fun. looking into tax lien and, and tax lien and tax deeds, you know, uh, tax lien investing. And I had gone up to somewhere in Northern California to a tax lien auction and stumbled upon, you know, a piece of land, a lady that owned a piece of land, and. Mm. We auction it off and we're like, oh my gosh, you know, how could we do something like this? But instead of waiting until an auction happens, you know, how can we get to people much, much sooner? And because if she's a, you know, an owner of vacant land and wanted to and wanted out, there must be other people, you know? Yeah, so we, we started sending direct mail to owners of real estate who had back taxes. Yeah. And only people that owned land called us back. And you know what? That exactly happened to me. I, I was trying to look for houses and all the people with land called me back. I said, I don't want land. I want houses. See, there we go. <laughs> you, just, you just missed out on a big opportunity right there. Yeah. I, I, sh I should have known you guys. <laughs> and then one guy had a property. It was worth about $8,000, but he had done a, what's called a percolation test to make sure to put a septic tank in there to see how the water, how fast the water sinks in the ground. And it hadn't passed the septic test. So to him, it was worthless. And he was leaving the state and he was wanting to leave. And he's like, you guys can have that thing. And it's like, well, how about $400? He's like, take it. So we got this thing for $400. And we sold it literally the next day to the neighbor across the street for $4,000. Wow. And that became and the beginning. And that's because our negotiation skills sucked. We were <laughs> And the neighbor shows up. And he just offered four thousand, and we said we yes. Excited, instead of like negotiating, we we're just like you. You were like ten times more. That's it, done, right? <laughs> right. And then the next deal brought us ten thousand. The next deal, then then we got a deal with like twenty-one properties for three thousand dollars that we sold for over a hundred thousand dollars. And and all of a sudden things started working. And then we also realized that most people that want to get rid of these properties don't actually even owe property taxes. So now we go after all the general land. And we generated millions of dollars and we started doing this part-time then. Then Michelle quit her job because she was on the visa, started this full-time. And then in, uh, in March of 2003, I got, we got the green card. And then a few months later, we felt comfortable. I retired quitting. him. <laughs> retired him, exactly. That's what my wife tells me. And then, so in October of 2003, we quit our job. But it just, we stumbled into that. Found it, built it up, and then for several years we put the blinders on, and all we did was land flipping. Yeah. We only put our head up when the market crashed, and everyone around us was losing money, and we were still making lots of money. And then we, that's when we started buying apart, uh, buying uh, single, single families. families. 
in a later apartment. Because we could buy houses here for forty, fifty thousand dollars. You know, put five grand in repairs and, and rent them for anywhere between nine hundred and eleven hundred dollars. Yeah. So you know, it, it yeah. made sense, and and we had all the cash profits, you know, from from the land business because that land business actually we were able to grow it very rapidly to almost an eight figure. Uh, business, um, you know, the first year we did about 60 deals. The second year we did about 120 deals, 130. And the third deal, we did 800 deals. Because we used, then we figured out a way to flush a lot of these properties uh, um, by yeah. using auctions. Uh, and so we used to have big live auctions, you know, we advertise on TV, radio, billboards, periodicals, online flyers, and get like 600 people to a room here at the Phoenix Convention Center and sell them in one day, 250, 200 to 250 parcels. And so we were quickly able to scale that. And we built a bigger operation then with like 40 full-time people at the auction days. We had 120 people work for us. It was a big operation that we built then. And, um, and then we used those profits to then get into the forever cash market, meaning buy, put asset allocation, as I call it, take the money we made and, and roll it over into something that brings cash flow for the rest of our lives. And now we have like 50 completely free and clear rental properties, which now have quadrupled in value and we still own them free and clear. That's awesome. Awesome. It's very uh, interesting on how you stumble upon doing yellow letters. Right? So, so the, that's how, I mean, I was looking for houses and I believe I look at tax lien lease, if I'm not mm -hmm. mistaken, people who didn't pay tax because most of the people who have empty land, they don't they don't want to pay the tax, right? Because right. there's nothing, there's no cash flow, there's nothing coming. So, exactly. so many calls coming back. I was surprised on the number of response, people calling, but they were calling all for empty land. And I say, I'm not going to buy that. So, but looks like you guys monetize that. I, I should have known yeah. that. <laughs> and, and you know, and even, and even there, you know, it's, uh -huh. it's like in our countries, there's no way that you're going to lose okay, your fine. property over, over taxes. But here mm -hmm. in the U.S., you do, you know, yeah. either the tax lien foreclosure method or through mm -hmm. the tax deed auction. Yeah. So those are opportunities that perhaps we were able to really, you know, hold on to because neither of our countries. Yeah, we would like it blew us away that people would even let these properties go for taxes. It was a perfect opening for us. Mm -hmm. And uh, and yes, so we monetize it in two ways. We we learn we wholesale them, we wholesale them, and we still do that. We just sold one last week, uh, actually two last week, and uh, I don't know every week there's sales. And uh, it's sold um, two. Um, we wholesale them basically. We buy something for two thousand dollars and go sell it for ten. Hmm. That's not a bad profit, right? If oh, you do absolutely, that absolutely. Month, you can live of that, and and plus they're very affordable. These properties. Or what we also do is we sell them with seller financing. So a couple of months ago, was one particular deal that I want to highlight is we bought a property for $5,000, an infill lot here in the city of Phoenix, and we sold it for $64,000 for the 6,500 down payment, dollar down payment. Hmm. So if you do the math, we paid five for them and we got 6,500 down. Uh -huh. So we got already, by our the moment that we sell the property, our money is back. Yeah. And now for the next 20 years, we get $500 a month and we'll make over $111,000, $112,000 total on that property that we have zero money then the moment we sold it. That's awesome. That's awesome. So let's walk through the land, the best land flipping strategy, right? Okay. Because you guys have done it many times, right? So first, first is where do you get the lease of landowners? Mm -hmm. what, what's the, where's the best place to find? 
So there's so there's three three possible places. We we are still in love with the more difficult one <laughs> because the harder it is for me, the harder it is for everyone else. Correct. The but, um, so there's places like Rebel Gateway or Agent Pro um, where you can get lists, and I think these two list services, list services that basically online list services, list source, right? Is it list source or list, list source? CoreLogic, yeah. yeah. Agent Pro, twenty four seven dot com. There's a whole host of, of different uh, websites. So what, what kind of list should we look for? We're looking for land lists. Yeah. The, the land list value. Other, other criteria, right? Yeah, yeah. land. Uh, other, the other criteria is that the land value is below $100,000, typically because we found that to be our sweet spot. Mm-hmm. Now, you can go above, but then your response rates are going to drop. The pro- You have to pay for these properties, go skyrockets and so on. But you can do those deals. Like We have a student the other day that made $192,000 flipping a deal that he put on a contract for much more than we usually put the properties on a contract for. They bought it for 80 and he sold it then for, what is that, close to 270 or something or 300, wow. uh, 280. And then he made his after closing costs 192,000. Um, but usually beyond that, we like out of state owners, uh, but they don't have to be out of state. So there's a couple of other criteria we follow. Then once you get that list. Uh, you send them, you, you know, you send them a letter and you can either, you know, print and stuff and stamp and lick all your envelopes and your and your letters, or you can send it through a mailing house if you want to outsource that and uh, send out uh, letters and um, and just hold on to your seat because you're going to get... You're uh, going to get a lot of calls. A lot yeah. of calls. <laughs> right, you're going to get a lot of calls. Exactly. We did, for example, um, yeah, when you, when you send out these letters, also, we don't use a yellow letter. Yeah. We've developed our own letter and split tested that hundreds of times until we got it to a point where we could not improve the performance of it anymore. And uh, so our letters sometimes, uh, it, there's a few counties where you get lower response rates, but usually you get at least a four, five, six percent response rate and it can go as high as 15 to 20 percent. So let's say now someone calling you, say I have a land to sell, right? Can you buy from me? What What are the things you look for to see whether you want to take down their number and, and follow up with them? First thing is motivation. Yeah. Because motivation. almost any kind of land sells. It's just if you get it cheap enough. Now, having said that, there's certain areas, certain pockets that we don't buy in. I mean, there's areas in Arizona where it's land, an acre of land is worth $500. That's not worth pursuing. So the value needs to be there. So we typically don't just go below $100,000. We also start above $10,000. Mm. So that we have a, a, a so property. So you don't get crap. Yeah. Yes. So, uh, so good language here. Uh, right, so, uh, so you got to get, uh, do you get it? You don't get junk land. As it's <laughs> Thanks for being nice. <laughs> uh, right, so, yeah, we have that ongoing. She's the foul mouth here in the family. <laughs> hey, you start me under the bus here. <laughs> so, um, so then you, um, yeah, so you send out these letters. Uh, I think I forgot the question. No, the question <laughs> is uh, once they call, what are the criteria for you? You ask them a few questions. You go through a list of questions that we created the script for. And, uh, and it asks like if there's road access, it asks if there's utilities to the properties. And none of those things are a deal breaker. It just determines how much you end ultimately going to offer for the property. Yeah. Mm, got it. And how do you determine what you're going to offer? Uh, mar- uh, comparables. Yeah. You run market comparables, uh, similar to houses, plus there's a few extra ways. Like for example, particularly in rural areas, there might not be comparables of the same size. So if you're looking at a five acre parcel and you only have like 10 and 20 acre parcels, 
and there's no other five acres that sold or are listed, you got to adjust for size sometimes. So basically a 10 acre parcel is, is listed or sold for $30,000. Well, the five acre is not automatically worth 15. It's more worth a little bit more because in rural areas, the smaller the parcel, the higher the price per acre. Yeah. So, um, so you get kind of like all the other way around. The bigger you go, the more kind of volume discount you get on the acreage. So going from 20 to 40 is not a doubling. It's more like a one and a half times the value. Got it. So 20 is, is so the value of a 20 is because of comparables shows you that it's $40,000 and an 80 is not uh, a 20 to 40, a 40 acre parcel is not $80,000. It's more like 60,000. So there's kind of, uh, you can adjust for those things. But the nice part is we buy our properties for five to 25 cents on the dollar. So that's the key to this entire thing. Because when you buy at 10, 15, 20 cents on the dollar, you can be off in your analysis and still make money. And uh, you can make money by selling, never sell a financing, getting a down payment that pays for the property. And you have so much margin of error and so much buffer in there that it's almost impossible. I'm not saying it is, but it's almost impossible to, to screw up. Yeah, yeah. And what tool do you use to find that comparables? Uh, we use, we go on Zillow, we go on Redfin, we go on uh, Realtor.com, we go on Landwatch.com, the same free websites, because I, ideally you go on the MLS, but the MLS only has, uh, doesn't have all the land. There's a lot of land that sells like owner to owner. Um, and, and also, even if you have access to the MLS, we do deals from Hawaii to Florida, our students do deals over the country. You usually only have access to the MLS in one little pocket. So it's impossible to almost have access to the MLS all over the country. And it's, and it's relatively easy to do the comparable analysis. We develop like our own proprietary software that basically connects through, you know, to Zillow, Redfin and all these services. So when I'm at a record, you know, and I'm looking at it, immediately it populates for me, you know, what are the comparables? Um, and if it's a little bit, you know, more, if it takes a little bit longer for me to do that, it's, it's, it's maybe eight to 10 minutes, you know, to look up a record elsewhere specifically, like yeah. if, if it's an info lot and, and, and it's completely built out, you kind of have to like back into the value of the land by figuring out, you know, well, what are the average, you know, uh, prices in, of homes in this area? What is the average square foot? How much would it take a builder to, you know, build in your house and, and kind of that way back into the value. But so we built five methods to value thing. Not, not less, uh, not the least is actually the assessed value. In yep. many counties, the assessed value has a relationship to the market, to market value. value. Yep. And if you can prove over the first 10, 20 analysis that you do that this relationship is reliable, then you can just use the assessed value too for your evaluation. In a particular county. Yeah. yeah. So you have to pay property tax on all this land, right? Do you try to flip it within the within the year so that you don't pay property taxes? As a matter of fact, the way most of our students are doing this is that uh, they don't actually ever buy the property. Mm -hmm. What they do is they, they put the property on a contract and then go market the property right away and then either do an assignment or do what's called a double closing where they use the same day transaction where they buy it and sell it both in the same day and the buyer brings up all the funds that pays everyone. That's so a wholesaling buyer, technique, right? It's a part, wholesaling technique, exactly. Yeah, yeah, like in the houses, that's what... Uh, exactly, it's the same, the same technique, just that we use land for it. And the nice part about land is there's no tenants, no toilets, no termites, there's no repairs, there's no... You don't have to show anyone that James, the property. And the competition is almost I not. know, that's why so many people call me. 
when I somebody on this podcast just told us that he walked away from homeland because he didn't know. <laughs> I know. You know, you know, I was thinking that time, why are these people selling all their land? I mean, there must be some business here, but I was so busy looking at houses, right? And I thought oh, that, and that's the normal thing. So there's almost no competition. And for that matter, for the last 12 years, we have done this entirely virtually. We have not looked at a single piece of land ourselves. Yeah. Google Maps, Google Earth, you can yeah. see it all. You don't Google Street View, you can just drive by your lot, take pictures, and it's 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 all there. It's no reason to get dirty and then yeah. and dusty out there. And that's another thing that I think I want to add in, in terms of like how simple it is. And now that we've like perfected our system, how predictable it is, you know, mm. is that when we started looking into real estate, because we're both not from here, we had no clue, completely clueless about construction, about estimating repairs for a kitchen, for bathrooms, for flooring, for roofing. We had no idea. And you don't have to deal with any contractors, any, mm-hmm. yeah. but, but you don't have to deal with any of those headaches that usually you have to deal with improved property when you're dealing with land. So that's something else we forgot to And mention. that's actually why we also, the main reason why we didn't jump from that to multifamily right away, but we took the bridge of single families because we first needed to learn the details of how much does it cost to rehab a kitchen and a bathroom and the flooring and windows and things like that. And we didn't want to tackle a $10 million project first. We wanted to go start small. So we bought some rental houses with our own money. So if we make mistakes, it costs us money, not our investors. And little by little, we then learned and after realizing that we can manage those also remotely because our houses are in three different markets, Phoenix, Cleveland, Omaha, and uh, and even though houses in Cleveland, I just told Michelle last week, we have a few houses that I couldn't even find anymore because I haven't. The last time I seen it was like eight years ago, and they spit out cash flow every month. The property management company is in charge of them. Everything is good. So after that experience, it's like we are ready for a step up and now buy the bigger buildings and manage them, and, and we can also do that remotely. Okay, that's awesome. So I, I, I'm thinking, why did I miss this opportunity, <laughs> right? So, <laughs> and, and I think the, the, the answer to my question was, I do not know who to sell to. So how did you all solve that problem? How do you, how do you go and how do you go and market? Okay, today you get a land. How do you go and find the seller? So initially, we started uh, with eBay and newspapers, mm-hmm. and and then we figured out these big land auctions. But the big land auctions stopped working in about 2007 and 8. We and, then we, and then we started doing online auctions. We shifted started everything online. So since about 2008, the middle of 2008 now, we have been pursuing, we have been selling all our land online through websites like, uh, like Craigslist, through, through Zillow, through uh, MLS, right? If you own the property, if you have a paragraph in there that says that you're allowed to market it, you can even a property, if you own it, it's easy to sell it on the MLS anyway. If you don't own it, you can have a paragraph in your contract, which we have that allows you to market this. Then you can put it onto the brokerlessmls.com for $99, it goes on the MLS. Um, again, but other than what, there's land specific websites like Landwatch, Landflip, uh, Landflip um, Realtor.com again. And, and the biggest one that is right now driving the most traffic for us and everyone else is Facebook, Facebook Marketplace. marketplace. So, so they are people looking to buy land from oh, people. Oh, lots like, of people. Like, Facebook Marketplace and Facebook groups, land, land groups. Yes, Facebook land groups. Things is, yeah, there's a big market. I mean, we focus on three kinds of land. Number one, infill lots. Infill lots you can sell immediately to a builder. Mm-hmm. Number two, the lots in the outskirts of town, right? If this is the city, right on the outskirts of the city, 
Uh, that's where we sell buy land because it's in the path of growth. Cities like San Antonio, cities like Austin, cities like Dallas, cities like Phoenix, cities like LA, like Denver, all over the country, they're growing. They're growing in Phil, we're there. They're growing in the outskirts of town, we're there. And, and, and there's other two, two ways. And the third way is we're focusing on larger acreage in the more rural areas. Which the is recreational. more like recreation areas. Yeah, and that is for the multi-multi-billion dollar market of RVers, ATVs, hunters, um, campers. How would you love to have a 40-acre ranch out in the, in the hills oh, that's awesome. of, yeah. of, of East Texas, right? All Wouldn't the, that be beautiful? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and there's millions of people that are looking for that. And then we put one on top because we get it so cheap. If you are, if you offer those properties with seller financing, they sell very quickly. Or at a discount, not at or a discount. Or at a discount. Or now, low market value wholesale. That if you're well priced, well advertised, it's a good property. It sells very quickly. And for example, one of our students just posted something that they put um, they put an ad on on um, Facebook Marketplace, and within 24 hours, they had 4,250 people look at it. And comment and message them, and uh, obviously they had to take the ad down and had multiple offers on the ad within one day. Now that's not necessarily typical. It might take a few weeks for the property to sell, but uh, but there's buyers. It's it's a it's a uh, it's a B two C market, right? We're the business to consumer market, and the end consumer buys a lot of these lots, and the infill lots is B two B to the builders. Yeah. And how do you check the entitlement of the land? What is it zoned and all that? It's a title company. Yeah. So you go through a title company, make sure title is free and clear. Okay. Uh, the same title companies that we use are not the same companies, different department that we use when buying a $10 million apartment complex and what we buy for a, for a $30,000 piece of land. Obviously, the cost is different because they charge us a minimum cost, which is usually anywhere between $700 and $1,200 a, a deal. Mm-hmm. But if you're about to make $15,000 on there, you can pay $800 yeah. and, and then make $14,200. It's still okay. What about land uh, which has utility or going to get utility? Is that much higher price than... Uh, usually it is. And usually it's already... Uh, Michelle, you can go, ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Uh, usually it's already in the, in the assessed value included. Occasionally yeah. it's not because the assessor is like a year or two behind. But it's then definitely already when you run your comparables, it's already in the market because if that word is out then other properties in the market are going to be listed higher which tells you okay or listed or sold higher which tells you the market value is higher so your offer is going to be higher and the seller is going to be happy to accept it and you make more money in the process and it's much more attractive to buyers too. and it sells quicker too. yeah yeah so i can see people like me doing this right because <laughs> Because I've already done the yellow letter marketing. I know all the languages and, you know, all that. But so anybody can do that, right? It's a simple business which makes a lot of money. And you are basically bridging the gap between people who need the land versus marketing to the direct seller who is in a distressed situation or who just want to get out from. Most of the time, they, they inherited the land. They don't want to pay tax and they just get rid of it. It money. looks like you talked to a few of them. Yeah. Yes. I, I did talk to a few of you and a lot yeah. of them, they said, hey, you know, my mom gave me and she died and now I have to pay property tax on it and can you buy it or not? Yeah, exactly yeah. right. And so, you, and so you're helping them and then you're you're helping your buyers too. And, yeah. and the, I think the how quickly you sell the property has a lot to do with how you market the property, how uh, what kind of listing you create. You know, there's a lot of crap where you just show a piece of dirt and no, you need to dream, dream build. You know, you have to have a catchy headline. I mean, you have to understand a little bit of marketing and copy and, and grabbing people's attention and so on and so forth. 
but nothing that you can't learn. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And what do you think? I mean, you have a proprietary software on it, right? How does that solve? What what problem does it solve? So what that does is, so back in the day when we were starting and we were doing just a few deals, you know, we could manage to keep our stuff, you know, on paper, on an Excel spreadsheet. But the moment we basically started really scaling this, you know, at the, at the point that we started doing auctions, we could no longer uh, continue using Excel spreadsheets. We really needed, you know, a CRM if, if, and, and, and not just a CRM to keep track of our, of our buyers and our sellers, but to keep, to keep us organized in our process flow from the moment that the, that the mailing went out to the inbound call being received to are we ready on the status where we've done research and ready to send an offer, has the offer come back accepted? Oh, okay. Have we sent okay. this out to title escrow? Is it back? Is it ready to be put into the catalog for the auction, you know, for sale? And so it, it basically, it's, it's process deal flow from beginning to end for land specifically. Yeah, and we built the software in-house that uh, guides you along step-by-step through the process of buying a property, keeps them organized, has statistics, has tasks, has, has a built-in buyer's website, seller's website, has calculator, calculators, and things like that. So why do you need like, you know, like you said, you have like 15 staffs, right? You have the CRM. What function does the staffs do? The staff does the work. I mean, the CRM, the CRM organizes the work for you, but somebody needs to put in the okay. data and somebody still needs to press the buttons and do the- And somebody needs and, to pick up the, you know, the calls for the buyers. Like we yeah. have a lady that is just in charge of that is of this position. Basically, there's other people making sure that the phone rings and- now, He's just answering the But call. having said that, yeah. this is us, right? We want to spend our time with our 11-year-old daughter traveling the world. We want to spend our time focusing on apartment complexes and not focusing, but spending our time. We love learning, right? And, 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 and looking at complex deals and things like that. So after building our land business to the level we wanted to build it, we started uh, putting a team in place of it. Yeah. Having said that, we have we have uh, many students that run uh, one of uh, off the top of the of the head. I think of one of them is also a coach in our organization. Uh, we, he he is on track this year to do 120 deals hmm. alone with one assistant, with one virtual assistant. So the thing is, because it's simple, because you don't have to rehab anything, because if you don't have to do anything like that, he can do a he can do 120 deals just as a two man or a man and woman uh, kind of show. And um, so you don't need a big staff is the point. Yeah. We have a staff of like somebody picks up the, the phone calls, answers them, or it's a call. On. They, and you can outsource everything. So we use a, a mailing uh, a, a call center to take the phone calls. We use a mailing house to send out the letters. So what we have in-house is somebody who does the deal analysis to figure out what the properties are worth and somebody who, a t- team of two people that prepare the listings and go sell the properties. Anything else you don't really need, anything else you can do, and, you can outsource. And documentation, unless uh, you like to work with documents. Yes. <laughs> Paperwork. Documentation, but all of that is electronic. Like yeah. when it comes in, we, we have buyer signed by DocuSign, we have, uh, we scan things, we put it onto, onto the Dropbox, we use uh, different files, we attach them to our CRM and so on. But uh, it doesn't require a lot of people to do this. Uh, which makes it even more profitable. Yeah, you sequence it very nicely so that you can scale uh, gracefully, right? And you can have your own time too. Awesome. The, probably the biggest thing I think that this business, because of there's no because there's no competition, 
And as you said, the sellers, the, the, the sellers have people that are, there are people that inherited this property. They're not getting 25 letters a week, like the house flippers. They're, they're getting nothing a week. So, yeah. so when your letter comes in and when you make that offer, we send the offer by mail to them. We give them 10 days to actually accept the offer. And then when we buy it, we get a contract that we have three months or four months or six months, whichever we want to close on it. So it de-stresses the entire thing. That means we can design this business around our life instead of the life designing or the life uh, determining it into the business. Yeah, uh, determining when we have free time. So it's truly a, a, the business that can be done based on everyone's work schedule, and even full time can be designed such that you work it around the things that are important in your life. So does it still work now in this economic cycle? Oh, it's actually right now is the best market that we have seen in probably years. 15 years. Yeah. Why is like, that? Because the market is up. So it means that buyers are still, buyers, will, sellers will always be sellers there. Sellers always be there, yeah. There's always going to be people that, that inherited the property and don't want it anymore. But the buyers are right out there right now, out there in the market. They're positive. They're they're upbeat. They want to buy these properties. They want to take them out, take their RVs out there. Uh, ride so, their ATVs. Ride their ATVs, build something on it. So uh, and the properties are flying off the shelves. And probably the big right now, our properties and our students' properties, we see the highest margins that we've probably seen since we te- since we teach this. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. We have people that are doing this that are, you know, stay at home moms, single moms to, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, to Nirav, who's a dentist. dentist. He no longer is a dentist. Well, he will always be a dentist, I guess, but he sold his practice because it's, you know, 10 months into the land flipping. He's like, I don't need to be behind the chair anymore. And now his wife, who's also a dentist, is looking to sell her practice as well. Um, to people that are having a job still in parallel because they, you know, they are already 30 something years in it and they're like, they have just one more year for their pension. So they don't want to let go of that and are doing it in parallel. I mean, we have across the board board from all walks of life. Yeah. I can see anybody doing this, right. It doesn't take a lot of time and a lot of effort, not like house flipping or even rentals or. Yeah. yeah, In the house flipping world, you get a call from a seller and he says, I'm interested. I mean, you better meet him at the property, like within a few hours, because you're going to have two or three people that are chasing the same house, you know? Yes, yes, yes. That's what happened to me. I I missed out on the land flipping. I went to house flipping. Life has become so busy. (laughs) So coming back to uh, the next level commercial asset, not say next level, I mean, the other commercial asset class that you guys are doing, which is... Multi-family, right? And you are, you said you're doing it so that you can... Can you explain that to me, why you're doing that? Uh, yeah, we're doing that for long-term generational wealth. Mm-hmm. So, in other words, right now we do syndicate deals. So, we have some deals that we... Uh, we, we make good, very good money, but... Uh, and, and we have uh, our assets and our paid-off properties. But so, we wanted to take the next, the next step in complexity. Mm-hmm. The next step in, in leverage, the next step in personal growth. So exactly. we, I think our investing has really followed our own personal journey, you know, of, uh-huh. of development and growth. So right. So one of the things we so we started buying these properties, uh, and the first one we realized uh, we syndicated with other investors, uh, and then the second one, the first few we syndicated investors. As a matter of fact, the first one we came in as a junior partner. So we raised, I think, uh, a guy that couldn't uh, couldn't raise all the money. In the moment, he was about to lose his deal, and he basically said, "Like, if you guys raise half of the money, you get half of the deal," which is obviously a great 
Great deal. I've never come across that. And we're going to learn how to do it because he had been doing this for many years. I'm like, that sounds like a perfect situation. But we also needed to put in $80,000 in escrow deposit, which we could have lost. Right. So, mm -hmm. so it was, uh, was, he asked for something and he gave something it was a great deal. So we came in, we ended up raising 60% of the money. Uh, and it doesn't matter. We didn't get more than 50% of the deal, but we, we got in, we learned a ton and then we started doing this on our own. And the first few deals, like there was just, we have a lot of income, but we have like your cash availability is not always $3 million. Right. So we basically looked at it as like, we needed $3 million. Let's put some money in ourselves and let's raise the rest through syndications. So we did a syndication for the last few deals. And at some point of time, we might transition into doing deals without investors that we then hold on for long-term 10, 20, 30 years. Uh, and that our daughter can potentially then inherit and she can keep them or, or, or sell them and upgrade them and, and so on. But in essence, it's, it's a way to be, what attracted us to it over the single families is that there's another layer of, um, of management, of another, another layer of separation between us and the actual issues on the property. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. Because now all of a sudden, you know, when you're looking at a hundred doors at a time and that, that scale allows you to have, you know, it, you know, on the ground, a full-time, you know, leasing person, a full-time uh, person for repairs or maintenance, another one that is turning units around. Um, you know, we have the regional director with, you know, with the property management. And so for us, it's really a lot of asset management, but not the everyday thing of like, would you approve, you know, the repair on, on a toilet or on, on this that broke? Which just space. today I got two more in our single families because they have an authorization limit of $500 on me there because I don't trust them with more. So on a single family, so everything over $500 goes to me, which is literally something, three or four things a week that happen, especially in summer when it's hot and ACs break and so on, uh, that are just like driving me crazy because every single time it's like, they don't give you the information you need. They don't give you the details you need. You have to jump on the phone call. You have to add into email back a few times. They don't follow your instructions on how to submit it. Versus when you operate on a mar larger property, you can, yeah. this is you're removed from that on these things, you get a status report, you can dive in with your expert partner on the deal, I mean, the mm -hmm. regional manager into it. And more than anything, the other thing we realized, as you very well know, you can force appreciation mm -hmm. and you can force value increase, which you, which on a single family house, you can just, you just cannot do. Yeah. Are because you, you, the valuation is not based on the income that it spits, but based on other properties in the, the area. Yeah. yeah, I always yeah. say that you can build a, the house painted with gold on real gold, and but the value is still going to be following the other houses surrounding it, right? So yeah, exactly. Right. Exactly. Are you guys using the depreciation from multifamily to offset the active income on your land? Yes, of course. <laughs> yes, big time. That's I mean, double we, sort, right? Yes, <laughs> double we, we, we have done uh, on all on all the units we have. We've done the cost segregation study. And it is literally... Uh, it shields a lot of the profits from the land flipping, even from the educational business. You know, it's a very purpose-driven uh, business for Jack, and it throws a nice chunk of cash. And I'm like, we need to, you know, protect that. And so we're, it feels like, uh, you know, with apartment investing, we get to have the cake and eat it too, in terms of, you know, get the cash flow in. We get cash flow. We get, uh, we get income and in cash flow. We get appreciation. And we get the tax benefits that wipes out almost the entire income of the other industries that uh, the other things that we do. So it's uh, it's like a dream come true. Yes. Yeah. So 
so you are you are considered a real estate professional not because of the land but because of the single family homes because of really everything i mean everything. Okay. Okay. if you do land, if you do just land are you considered a real estate professional oh, yeah. Yeah. you don't uh, like okay. land is real estate as a matter of fact i would say and when somebody says i've never dealt with land i only do houses i said like it's actually and and, and i said smiling it's actually an incorrect statement because you have never bought a house without the land is the land <laughs> and the house on it yeah, yeah, correct. It was truly a land transaction that had a house on it. Yeah, uh, yes. Because the legal description of the of the of the property is not the house. It doesn't say it's a four bedroom, three bed house. No, you're buying this lot, lot number twenty three, with whatever it happens to be on it. Mm-hmm. And what is on it is a luxury house or or a dump. Is is just defines then the value differences. But uh, but uh, so a real estate professional it doesn't have to be defined by houses or commercial or it can be land too. Yeah. Got it. Got it. So let's go to a bit more personal side of it, right? So <laughs> no, no technicals, right? So why do you guys do what you do? I, I think for me, um, you know, in the beginning, it was, it was, um, it was about us having freedom of money, time, you know, uh, relationships. And, and right now it's about freedom of purpose. You know, uh, it has, you, you kind of like, you know, when you're struggling, uh, you know, somebody is listening to this and they're struggling or they have a job they hate or whatever. The very first thing that you look at is, is, is um, how can you take care of your immediate family? You know? mm-hmm. When you have that taken care of, then you start looking at, OK, how can I you know, start you know, helping in my church or helping in my community or, or helping on a much, much larger scale? So for me, you know, a lot of my you know, what drives me right now and my purpose and my why is uh, to become a, a, a mentor and, and, and a leader, you know, for other women to start investing in real estate, to start, you know, um, uh, you know, having their money work for them, for example, and, and, and set an example, you know, I want to be a hero for my daughter. And, and I want her to also grow into a lady that, you know, knows how to manage her finances, that is very comfortable with investments, uh, whether small or large and, and so on. So, and for me, uh, along the similar lines, it's, uh, I remember the year 2007 when we were, and we had accomplished our first major big financial goal, uh, which was a certain number, like, you know, everyone has their number in, goal in mind. And we had just moved into a gorgeous uh, semi-custom home that we designed from scratch up. And, and, and all of a sudden, we're like, you reach those goals and you almost like fall into a hole. And uh, we found that whole because you expect to be like all candy and, 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 and rainbows and whatever thing and, uh, and, and, unicorns. and unicorns, but actually the quite opposite is happened. It's like for a moment you celebrate and then you're like, what now? Right? So we basically sat down and we said like, okay, so we can sit down now and we can go retire in essence. We can go sit down, we can do nothing. And, uh, and, but we realized, for example, there's a charity in Michelle's home country, Honduras, that we said that like, we could go work in charities and charitable work, but we realized we're really very good at, at getting businesses to a profitable stage. We're good at kind of creating money. That's kind of like our genius. And so we are not the person that's going to live in the Honduran rainforest jungle and feeding the poor. So, but it's close to our heart. So why don't we stick to what we love doing so that we generate the money that we can be more impactful in those kind of things. And as a side thing, I love real estate. I mean, I don't see myself 
not doing real estate ever. I mean, I, I hated the entire the IT industry. Um, I'm not in, not personally involved in the in the continuous development of our software because I'm kind of scarred from that time in the IT industry. And so we, uh, but I mean, I get involved into the what the vision is of it. But um, but he, and then we have a great guy that drives the implementation of these things. But uh, we focus on deals. We focus on. And if I can focus on deals for the rest of my life, I'm I'm an opportunities that I'm a happy camper. It's just what I love doing. So and it draws off money, and that allows us to help more people. That's awesome. And and be and transformational then, in the way you know in, in the on, way we treat our investors and uh, the way that you know people that want to participate in our deals. So, and on the teaching side of things, yeah. uh, we started the teaching side of things also kind of all of like almost like a mission kind of point of view that that. Uh, not that we need to rest to, to, to save the world, but there is so many people out there that do real estate either the wrong way or that they don't know that there's an easier and simpler way that you can do real estate and learn and build that, kind of, that confidence and capability in your life that then allows you to do whatever the heck you want to do afterwards that we feel like almost called to, to teach this and show the land flipping part of things to people so, so they can also get on their own feet. And we have had years where we lost money in that business, where we put it on our own pocket for, and, and it was still fulfilling because we see the difference that it makes in people's lives. So yeah. we, we committed and our core values is to be transformational. Yeah, and um, it, it, it's not just walking a person through a deal, but really sculpting someone's spirit, you know, someone's confidence, someone's courage. Um, through the process of a real estate deal. So it's um, it's incredibly rewarding work, for sure. Okay, okay. So why not you tell about um, how to find you guys? How can the but listeners- The easiest way to find us on the land flipping side is go to landprofitgenerator.com. Okay. Landprofitgenerator.com. And you can also go to www.orbit, like O-R-B-I-T investments.com. There's a link over to the land flipping side. There's uh, there's a couple of other links on there too for different areas. Okay. I'm on Facebook, Michelle Bosch. Right, Instagram, right. Michelle Bosch official. And again, on the land side, since since we don't teach the apartment complex things, you do that. Really, you have uh, we have we have no educational things about that. We just we do syndicate with investors. Um, we do uh, probably similar deals. And, but on our website, like all, all the educational things are all about land flipping. So we have a Facebook group called Land Profit Generator Real Estate Group. So everything we do on the, on the land side is called Land Profit Generator. So you look for Land Profit Generator, you find us. And uh, Orbit Investments is more like the, the overall um, holding company above everything else with links to all the different pieces that we do. Awesome. Well, Jack and Michelle, thanks for coming in. I learned so much and I learned what I did, what did I miss too, but I'm sure the listeners learned a lot of things from uh, today's uh, podcast. Uh, thank you for coming in. Thank, thank, thank you, you so very much, much for having, having us. Absolutely. James, I'm looking forward to seeing you at the next Mastermind that Absolutely. we share. Absolutely. Bye. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. That's it for this episode. If you'd like to learn even more, check out James's free audiobook. It's the audio version of his best-selling book on passive investing. You can get the audiobook completely free, along with other valuable resources, by visiting www.achieveinvestmentgroup.com forward slash free audiobook. Also, be sure to join our Facebook group too. To find it, just do a Facebook search for Multifamily Investors Group. 
Thanks for listening. Join us again for another episode next week. See you then.